0: Father in heaven, we are so thankful to Thee, Lord, for blessing us so richly that we could be in Thy house in this day. Lord, as we look around us and see uh, the persecution that falls upon believers as they would try to even gather in secret, and here we have the blessing of being in a beautiful, warm place on a, a beautiful day and being able to fellowship and rejoice with one another as we would look into Your Word Lord, pray that it's a privilege that we would not take for granted. And know that as we um, see the winds changing around us, Lord, that that may not be something that we have the privilege of forever. And pray that we would be encouraged and thankful for the time that we can rejoice now and and look into thy word for blessings and direction and encouragement and admonition where it's needful. Lord, we're thankful for all that could gather with us in this day, mindful of the Marcies who couldn't and the Muellers and Aunt Marie and Aunt Lainey, Lord, and others that we might not think of right off the top of our heads. Lord, pray that you would minister to them in this day, that you would watch over them. Uncle Richard also. Father, impart teaching and instruction where it's needful for each of our hearts and in our walk as we would step out into the week before us. And Lord, open your word to us now, and for it we'll thank thee in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Ask if you would turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter five, promise you're almost done with me in Galatians and I think as I mentioned when started doing this Galatians chapter five was was actually the passage that I had intended to start with because I was answering a question for myself and Some of it was laid out here in chapter 5, and I realized as I did that that you can't, it wasn't going to be helpful without having the background of this entire book. Um, Maybe contrary to what Paul's done in in a lot of of his other letters, Galatians is a book that's centered on a theme, like one specific theme. It's not a bunch of individual teachings, but this one central theme about not retracting back into Judaism or to backsliding into, um, you know, we'll, we would use the word legalistic um, teachings. And in chapter 5, he he uses an object lesson that I'm, I'm hoping will um, come out in, in almost describing a pendulum of, of the swings that could take place, of, of one side of the pendulum being where the, the Judaizers were and, and, and describing uh, a a righteousness lived by, or sought to be lived by, laws and by following after rules and regulations, and and basing the relationship with Christ or basing their theology on a rules focus. And on the opposite side, living in freedom with Christ and what that actually means, but how you could take it too far, and uh, and dare I say, mix up what what real liberty um, means. So. After jumbling that a little, I'm sure, let's read through chapter 5 of Galatians. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. But in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith worketh by love. Ye did, not run, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion came not from of him that calleth you, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump i have confidence in you through the lord that you will be none otherwise minded but he troubleth you but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be and i brethren if i yet preach circumcision why do ye yet suffer persecution this is the offence of the cross then the offence of the cross is ceased i would they i would they were even cut off which troubled you For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh." For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh: and these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are manif- for the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, Heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revellings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they which are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, one, provoking one another, or envying one another. The whole chapter 5. I conclude with all of chapter 5. So, the last couple of weeks, the last uh, couple of chapters... Paul has gone into this deep dive describing, even just at the end of chapter 4, the relationship of being um, having an inheritance with Abraham and being children of the promise and not children of the bondwoman. And he is wrapping all of this up and, and starts right in chapter 5 with stand fast in the liberty, or freedom, I'm going to use those interchangeably, in the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free. The reason that this all came to mind at one point was this word liberty. When we talk about it in a, I don't know, I guess I'll say it that way. We use the word liberty because it has two meanings or two facets, at least two. Um, when we say liberty in a political sense or in a statue of liberty sense, we use it as a Freedom a freedom from, in the Statue of Liberty's case, it was a freedom to come to this nation and to live our lives in the way that we would want to, without persecution from the government, without um, directive of how we would have to do individual things. In a church sense, we use the word liberties uh, a little bit differently. It, yes, in the sense that we there are Practices and things that we would individually observe that might be different from one person to the next. And so, when I've always read this, um, the liberty that Paul was describing, I think we've talked about a couple of times now, is the freedom from... Sin, the freedom from the old nature and the old law of having to live by regulation of all of the details contained in the Old Testament, all of the regulation of the Jewish law, and the ability to live in to, the ability to live in the Spirit and to follow Christ. And so, when Paul he he keeps harping on this detail here and, and, and reinforcing the fact. That by falling back into that desire to, to live and to, let me say it that way, to attain our righteousness by observance of ordinances, we remove the opportunity and the blessing of living under the, the grace of God and being free from that old sin nature. And so he, he starts to, to unpack this again for them. Because the, the argument that was going to come, the argument that often comes with anybody that's going to put rules in place, even as a parent, right? If you don't have rules, if you don't give rules to your children, directives as to what they should do, they're always going to try to push on the outsides of the line. They're always going to try to push the envelope. Some will push less hard than others will, but they're always going to see what the boundaries are. And so it made sense, even as it made sense for the Jews. Put the restrictions in place so that they know where they can be. And even any good, I think any good child psychologist or, any good parent would tell you that kids want direction. They want restriction. They won't tell you that they do, but they, they want to know what the rules are. And so when Paul is preaching this to them, and he's coming back to the to church and telling them, you know what, you need to live in freedom. You need to live in freedom and liberty from the old nature, from the old uh, desire to work yourself righteous. The pendulum is going to swing the opposite way to just have a free-for-all and a pass to do anything that your heart would desire. And so what he tries to unpack for them here is is the heart of chapter 5. He says at the beginning, um, again, reinforcing this, this portion, like, if you desire to go back into the circumcision, Christ has become no effect of you. You You'll basically be trying to justify yourselves by the law, which you can't. We've already established that. You can't be justified by the law. And you will have fallen from grace. You'll have removed yourself from the grace of God. You'll have stepped back from the relationship that you had with Christ. He says in verse 8, This persuasion, this this interpretation that you have, certainly didn't come from God. It didn't come from him that calleth you. And he also says that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump as if to say there's no way you can't do this in small bits and pieces you can't have a little bit of reliance on the law without fully removing yourself from grace and then he says i wish that these that would have troubled you that the, i wish that they were cut off of these which troubled you that i wish that these folks that had brought this to you were were destroyed or were removed completely and then verse 13. This is where we get really into the crux of what I was driving at. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So on the surface, it's, it, it makes, it's very simple and makes perfect sense. You know, you've been called to liberty. You understand now what that means. But don't let that freedom that you have be an occasion to satisfy your flesh. It's, it's interesting. The, the word occasion, uh, some other, I think the Amplified uses the word opportunity, but if you look at it in the, in the Hebrew, Greek, Hebrew, i um, Greek, it actually talks about it as being a base of operations. It uses it as like a, um, an, a military term. Don't use your liberty as a base of operations to indulge in sin. As a jumping off point is a place to sin and I, I, thats that struck me as, as if we use don 't use your liberty as the foundation for a mindset and a heart set that would indulge in sinful activities, but by love serve one another for all law is fulfilled in one word even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself so if we if we have been Given freedom, the freedom in Christ, it's a freedom from one thing to another, right? We've been freed from a sinful nature, but to service, freed into the service of God. And he's trying to describe how that would, how that would take place. He says, you know, you're, you're a group of people that was always looking for rules. I'm going to give you one rule, but love and serve one another for all the laws fulfilled in this one thing. You had hundreds of laws that you were willing to follow and wanted to follow. I'm giving you one law that you should follow. And that's to love and serve one another. And serve thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So maybe trying to unpack this a little bit further. You've been given this liberty. You've been given this freedom to exercise your faith in... Is in accordance with Scripture and how you interpret it. But your freedom is there also set forth to put you in service one to another, that you would love one another and serve them. And so how do you do that? Clearly in this church there had to have been some, he wouldn't have talked about biting and devouring one another or or fighting if there hadn't been some. And these folks, as they were trying to interpret their walk in different ways and And seeing what their relationship with Christ was and seeing what their relationship with one another was, Paul's now telling them, you're free in Christ, but you still have to, you still are placed here to serve together. And how are you going to do that? By loving one another and by deferring to one another. He then unpacks it a little further. This I say, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, talking about here's the, the pendulum, right? Walking in the spirit, walking in the flesh. For the flesh lust, lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These things are contrary to each other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Very clearly, again, there's opposite sides here, and we're swinging from one side to the other. If you live under the spirit, you cannot live under the law. Well, what are the works of the flesh? What are the works of the law? They're manifest, which are these. And he goes through all of these terrible things. This list of terrible things. I'm not going to break down every single one of them. But if, if somebody was describing to you um, how you would want to live your life, how you, what is the desirous way to live our lives, if you place these two things next to each other, the works... Sorry, I'm mixing up which side I put these things on, but the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit... And even just think about how those two things sound. The works are things that are generated by us. But the fruit of the Spirit are things that are generated by God and given to us or worked through us. Once again, describing just how that relationship or how those two theologies work. That if we are going to seek to walk in the, or walk in the old law or by the works of the law, this is what you can expect to see. But if we allow ourselves to be empowered by the Spirit, and to be freed in the Spirit, this is what you can expect to see, or what we should see. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And then to put a point on it, as I think I said a couple weeks ago, never really thought about this phrase, thought I just kind of but fell by the wayside. Against such there is no law. These things do not come from the law. This is what the fruits of the Spirit are what the entire law was trying to generate, trying to show this is what a relationship with God should look like. This is what should come out of an active, obedient, redeemed heart. But it's impossible to do without the freedom from the old law and with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. They've killed all of the old nature of those things that were on the other side with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's not enough just to say that we've accepted the freedom, that we take the liberty, that we are thankful for the blessing of not being enslaved to the old law. It's now our responsibility to walk in the Spirit and be obedient to it. Let it empower us. Let it direct our path. And what is it going to direct? It's going to direct a relationship with God that was described in the first, how many ever hundred pages of the book? It's, it's interesting. Look at back what Jesus said in, in Matthew. He said that he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. The, the point was not to explode or blow up or dis, you know, dissolve all of the direction that God had given his children. But it was to say that you can't do it that way. You have to be freed from that old nature. And by being free from that, we can now be slaves to Christ. That's the next theme or concept that's hard to think of. Unfortunately, what I, what I was struggling with and was trying to answer the question for somebody was if it says if we're free in Christ, how much is, how, how, how free am I? The reason that this whole study of Galatians started for me was because somebody said, if I'm free in Christ, how free am I really? And the connotation I got was, what can I get away with? Well, that's missing the concept altogether. That's missing the concept altogether. Because what Paul was trying to describe to these folks was not freedom to return to a sinful nature and be absolved of all of it, It was freedom to actually be able to live a a Christian life that he designed us for. To be able to live in the fulfillment of a Christian life. And the struggle that, on the opposite side of the pendulum, there's often that time where we have been made free, but the devil throws seeds of doubt on us as to, Is His power sufficient? Is His Spirit's power in me sufficient? The temptation that I'm feeling, the temptation that I sometimes have yielded to and have to ask forgiveness for, was I really made free? I found a quote that was, it's actually a quote of a quote. And this is also, um, let me just read it. A point was illustrated, uh, this is actually from D.L. Moody, illustrated a point by quoting an old former slave in the South following the Civil War. Being a former slave, she was confused about her status and asked, I'm not making fun of this, this is exactly how it reads, Now is I free, or been I not? When I go to my old master, he says I ain't free. And when I go to my own people, they say I is. And I don't know whether I'm free or not. Some people told me that Abraham Lincoln signed a proclamation, but my master says he didn't, and he didn't have any right to. Many Christians are confused on this same point. Jesus has given them an emancipation proclamation, but their old master tells them that they're still slaves to that legal relationship. You know, sometimes I I would say that we find ourselves there. Find ourselves there with the devil saying, you don't even know what, if you are really free, if you are really redeemed, if it was really complete in you and the Spirit's power was indwelling you and directing you, would this really be a temptation? Would this really be a problem? And we have to return and to recognize that the old... I heard another good quote, but I'm not going to do it justice. Though the Spirit reigns in us, our old sin nature remains. What, is what do we always say? The flesh and blood didn't convert? Our flesh and blood didn't convert. And though the Spirit reigns in us, we will still be, it will still be at war with our old nature. And yes, we have to die daily and that old nature was crucified and needed to be put to death and needed to be put away. But, but daily, we need to recognize the liberty we have. I think the freedom now, I need to stop using the word freedom. The liberty that I have to stand and say that I am redeemed, and because I'm redeemed and because the Spirit indwells me, I can live the life that he has designed and requested, and not requested, commanded of me. That what would flow out of me would be those things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And that we wouldn't find ourselves, um, you know, trying to make, trying to make excuses for why we need, that's, that's not the right way to say it. Try to make excuses why it doesn't, we aren't living a life that is full of the sufficiency of his grace. I I'm struggling with how to to close that thought. The fr- the first comment that came to me on the one side of the the pendulum I, like I said to to bring this all up is the effectively what can I get away with? It's a product of this world. It's a product it's it's not a new product, but it's something that over the years since scripture has been twisted, which is probably since the day scripture was recorded, we've seen The world try to to rest it to their own devices, to excuse any kind of behavior, to excuse any kind of decision-making that doesn't otherwise fall in line. And in a day and age now where anything goes and everyone's truth is their own, there's nothing more attractive than saying, you've been set free. I mean, Paul even got to the point of saying, you foolish Galatians, you've been set free, why would you give yourself more rules? If you told your kids, you're free to do whatever you want, Stay up as late as you want, eat whatever you want there's no rules, nothing, no no constraints whatsoever. that would sound very attractive. But when we pack, when we unpack what Paul was trying to describe to them, was trying to describe and, and ably describing a life that would be constrained to the direction of the spirit, constrained to the moving of the Spirit in our lives. And the freedom was from the guilt and the shame of not being able to be found righteous before God and recognizing that because of his gift of grace, that we are now able to take on his righteousness and live that life that is victorious. And to be able to answer this question that this old woman was was, was struggling with, when the devil comes to us and says, you know what? you weren't really made free. You, you, you don't have the victory. Look at how you just handled that situation. Look at how you lost your temper. Look at how you did this or that or whatever. You could A free person, a saved person wouldn't do that. We can, find our, we can rest back in the faithfulness of God to know that if we live in the Spirit, we shall also walk in the Spirit. And we are Christ's who have been crucified, who have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. I don't want to risk going into the to the next chapter to finish it. But if I can give one, uh, maybe one encouragement. Um. Too often, I think, even for myself, I think I mentioned this weeks ago as well. I lived, I sought the Lord in um, degrees of righteousness, you know, seeking to do a little bit better and to to transform myself or, or convert myself a little bit more and reform this piece and that piece and another piece. And more than anything that comes out in this book of Galatians, it is, not a measure, it is not a matter of degrees of righteousness, but of the kind of righteousness. It's not a matter of degrees of the things that I can accomplish, but of the kind. And so perfectly stated, as the Apostle Paul continues to talk about it, is, fruits of the Spirit versus works of the flesh. When we can have that old nature crucified and And set aside and, and and killed, destroyed, and be made victorious because we've accepted a gift of freedom, then we can have peace with God, then we can can live a life perfect, no, not always perfect, but one that's victorious and then can give us a purpose to understand that for tomorrow, when we can look hopefully uh, to to a kingdom to come and to serving him tomorrow. We, sorry, I'm going back one more time. In verse 14 of chapter 3, he says that the blessing of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And I have to think of that the blessing of being able to look forward to union with God in heaven, to an eternal reward because of a gift that he had given us and not one that we tried to accomplish of our own. And pray that when the devil comes to us like to that doubting old woman, that we can put him in his proper place and say that I know where my liberty stands. And it's because my, my God died on the cross for my sins and I did nothing more than accept it.